Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Sidebar with Cindy. On Kaya FM 95.9. Hi, FM 95.9, home of the Afropolitan. Welcome to Sidebar Cindy with me, Dr. Cindy Swayfansale. And this evening, we're speaking about rape crisis. What would you do if you're a victim? Do you know what to do if you're a victim? Let's talk about it. Sidebar with Cindy. Every Monday to Thursday from 7 to 8 p.m. on Kaya FM 95.9. Kaya FM 95.9, home of the Afropolitan. Sidebar Cindy with me, Dr. Cindy Sefansale. It's been a very heavy day. Um, I think um, we all know that Uyinin um, Mkhwetwana's um, murderer came forward and confessed his crime. And um, Twitter, since, you know, social media since yesterday and all of today has just been in shock. We're all feeling very heavy. And that's why I decided that um, I'd like to do a show um, you know, focusing on rape crisis and informing, you know, you what to do if you find yourself in a situation where you've been um, sexually assaulted um, or raped. It's important to know that the hours immediately following sexual assault are crucial. The decisions you make um, will ensure that the wheels of justice turn and, you know, the case um, reaches the courts and there's a successful prosecution. So I'll be joined this evening by Dr. Maria Nkobodi. She's a medical doctor and she has been medically legally trained. So she's the medical doctor that you'd see when you get to a rape crisis center and um, she'd then, you know, go uh, do the whole process all the way up to court, you know, when, when you have to testify around your case. We'll also be joined by a social worker um, who works with um, um, victims of, of rape and sexual assault. And she'll be talking to us about the processes, um, you know, that happen after what has been sexually assaulted and the counseling that is necessary thereafter. We'll be taking your calls on 86 You can SMS us on 36959. The hashtag on social media is Sidebar Cindy and the other hashtag is Kai Talk. Dr. John will be back um, tomorrow evening for another for another insightful show. But going to the calls now, Dr. Maria Nkopodi joins me on the line. Um, good evening, Dr. Maria, and welcome and welcome to Sidebar Cindy. Good evening, Dr. Cindy. So thank you very much for joining us. Um, I think, you know, we had a different topic planned for the show, but after what happened yesterday and today, I felt that it was important for us to have an informative show where we, um, you know, inform our listeners about the steps that must be taken after sexual assault because one of the challenges is successful prosecutions. And, you know, the main reason why, you know, the cases don't end up in court is because... People don't always go forward, and if they do go forward, the, the correct steps are not followed by either the healthcare professional on duty or um, the police services. So at least if you know what must happen, you can ensure that it happens. So before we go and take calls, um, Dr. Nkobodi, I'd like you to explain you know, to the listeners what a medical legal um, doctor or nurse does. Okay. Good evening again to you, Dr. Cindy. It's such a pleasure for me to be on air with you. Good evening to Afropolitans as well. Uh, For me as a medical doctor, the general thing is that each and every medical doctor can do examination for the court for sexual assault victims. Yes. But for me as a medical doctor in medical legal services, we are in a dedicated service where we see only victims that have been assaulted sexually and then the service is dedicated only for that. 
So either the patient present to to SAPS services first and they are brought to the medical legal center or they come forward straight to medical legal centers and then that we will see them. Next up is the medical legal doctor. It will be to take a comprehensive history from the victim and I call them patients. Victim, they call them victims at the court. Mm -hmm. So my job is to take a comprehensive history and then examine and collect the, the evidence from the patient and then document the evidence for the court and which will be presented later to the court. And, and on site, our yes. job also, it will be to do counseling and testing and to give appropriate necessary medication as deemed, you know, according to the blood results or whatever results we, do, we get. Okay. And the important thing for, for the listeners to understand, Dr. Nkopodi, is that the sooner you can present yourself to a rape crisis center or to a hospital or to a police station, the better it is for the collection of DNA evidence. Which is true, yes. The first 72 hours are crucial. The evidence is still preserved, especially if the victim hasn't bathed or hasn't showered or hasn't been exposed or hasn't even changed the clothing that she was wearing after the incident. So the first 72 hours, we need to do an HIV test. If our patient is negative, then we have to give post-exposure prophylaxis for HIV to prevent transmission of HIV. And also to treat for prophylaxis for for any STIs that might be there. So the 72 hours is pre- is important, you know, to, for preservation of evidence. We need to collect evidence as fresh as it is and then give treatment. It does not mean that after 72 hours, the patient must not come for treatment and testing and counseling. So this is important to know because I think a lot of people know that the 72-hour time period is, 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 is important, that those golden hours, but not even knows that even if the 72 hours has passed, we may not be able to give you the post-exposure prophylaxis, but we can still collect evidence. Um, well, we can still collect evidence and we must still fill out um, the, 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 the forms um, documenting the injuries and so on. Yes, which is called the JT8. Okay. So coming to the J88 form, because I have done threads on, on social media about the J88 form, what is a J88 form and where can one get it? The J88 is a legal document that is obtained from the SAPS. So when it comes to rape cases and even normal uh, physical assault, yes. you obtain it from SAPS. You cannot get it anywhere else. So when it comes to sexual assault, the J88 comes in with a sealed pack. It's inside the pack. The pack contains the original J88 in duplicate and the swabs that will be taken either from the vaginal area or the mouth or the rectal area. And it also has a document which is also in triplicate where the doctor and the patient has to sign for consent for examination. Okay, so the so JT8 yeah. is a legal document that will be filled in by the doctor who has examined the patient. And then it will be taken away by the SAPS. And then it will again be presented to the court. 
as part of the evidence. And the important thing here is that the medical doctor that collects, um, that takes the, the history and then um, does the examination has to fill out that J88 form as accurately as possible to ensure that when you get to court, um, the chances of a successful prosecution happen. Yes, true. And one thing that, that um, you know, Dr. Gobodi, that people don't know is that all medical doctors, as you stated earlier on, have undergone this training. So if you're trained in a South African medical school, you are trained during your um, forensic pathology block. You are trained on how to fill out that form. But obviously, Dr. Yes. Gobodi then is, has, has, gone for, has undergone further training to, to make sure that she can fill out a medical legal, um, you know, the medical legal side, which is collecting the swabs. Um, for the evidence, which is, you know, re- re- rectal, anal, rectal swabs, mouth swabs, and vaginal swabs. Yeah. So I wouldn't be able to do a medical legal report as a GP because I haven't undergone that special training. Dr. Sengi, we all should be able to do all this examination. Mm. The main problem is, as doctors, we shy away from, you know, filling in the document examining such patients. An example that I will give, in emergency area, if we get a patient who says, I've been raped, everybody says, okay, we'll see that patient later. We'd rather push the queue and see as many patients as possible in the two hours than see one sexual assault patient. The one thing I know is this is time consuming. You sit with the patient. You wait for their emotions to be sorted. Mm. If they're not ready to talk within 10 minutes, we just wait. Mm. So it's time consuming, it's emotional, and you have to document everything as accurate as possible. And most doctors are not willing to go to court. We are afraid somehow to go to court. We haven't been trained. But if you've been to court before, you realize you know what you're doing. You just need to present the evidence to the court. And yours is not to, to 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 defend anything or defend anyone. Yours is to present the, the evidence that you collected on the day of the, that the patient presented to you. Sure. The other thing I wanted to, to, to find out, Dr. Ngobodi, is that if a doctor refuses to, to fill out a J88, what steps can be taken by the patient in this regard? Because I've heard of cases where um, you know, a patient is sent from one clinic to the other or one hospital to the other because the doctors on duty are not willing to fill out the J88 form. What I know, most GPs are not willing to fill in the J88 because of the waiting period at the court. If they are subpoenaed to come to court, let's say on the 2nd of September, mm-hmm. either they will go to the court and wait from 9 o'clock until 11 o'clock. For them, it's money. They're supposed to be at their private practices, seeing patients and pushing the queue and making the money. So most of the GPs in private, they will tell you, rather go to clinic. And then you'll be seen properly at the clinic as 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 the patient, you know, with sexual assault. From the clinic, the clinic is not supposed to examine the patient with sexual assault. They will refer the patient to a medical legal center. So most of the hospitals have a medical legal center set up or there's a separate medical legal center like in Kalin and it's separate, it's not in a hospital setting. Mm. So most of the GPs will not do that. And what I've realized up until now is that private sector is coming into play. 
I think some of the net care hospitals are coming into play and they're offering examinations for sexual assault cases for free. Yes. So for that, we need to check which ones are really accredited. They have off- they're offering the services. Yes, so NetKid has got a program. I think the program started in 2015 where a handful of their hospitals around the country do offer medical legal services. It's free of charge and they do have a doctor and a team on site to ensure that the J88 is filled out and then that sexual assault examination kit is also is also filled out. So if a person can't make it to a, a rape crisis center within the public sector, they can phone and find out which of the NetKid hospitals is closest to them where they can get the service. So you're listening to Sidebot, Cindy, and I'm talking to Dr. Marian Kobodi. She's a medical legal um, doctor, and her job is to examine patients that have been sexually assaulted and make sure that evidence is collected and that the J88 form a medical legal document that, that is used in court is filled out. So we're taking calls on 86 and we have Aaron calling us from Johannesburg. Good evening, Aaron, and welcome to the show. Yeah, yes, welcome, Cindy. Yeah, uh I hear the doctor says uh, if somebody has been raped in two hours, they're going to test him for HIV. So now I think if they find her that she, she's HIV, I mean, she's positive, it won't be because of the person who, who raped him in two hours. Okay, so you're, ask, so you're asking that question? Yes. Okay, so... Mm. Okay, so, so HIV infection wouldn't happen in two hours. It takes 72 hours from the time that a person is exposed to HIV to the time that a person is infected with HIV. So if someone has been sexually assaulted and they present at a clinic within, within what, 10 hours or, or two hours, as you say, and they get tested for HIV and they test HIV positive, that person had already been infected prior to the sexual assault. Oh, yes, yes. I thought so then. Okay, thank you. Okay. That's what I wanted to find out. Okay, thank you, Aaron. So coming back to Dr. Marian Kobodi, we're chatting about um, sexual assault and the steps that must be taken to make sure that um, you know everything goes according to plan in court. What I want to know from you, Dr. Kobodi, is that we've spoken about um, the examination that must happen, you know, patients must present within 72 hours to a rape crisis center. Um, is there a rape crisis center for children? If a child has been sexually assaulted, where do they go? Do they also come to you or is there a separate place specifically for children? At the current moment in public sector, they all come to medical legal center. The lucky people are the ones who are in Johannesburg. I think there's Teddy Bear Center that's been running for a number of years, which is a dedicated center for children. So it's a teddy bear center. Teddy bear center. That one is dedicated for children with sexual assault and neglect, which has a multidisciplinary team. But at the moment, each and every child is examined each and every, at each and every medical legal center, or either if they have started at the clinic, the clinic is supposed to refer them to the dedicated medical uh, medical legal center in the nearest place. And from what I understand. Every hospital, every public sector hospital should have a doctor that is medico-legally trained for this examination. You know, that's a lucky situation. <laughs> In Gauteng, it's working very well. So far, it's running very well. Most of the uh, hospitals in Gauteng, they have a dedicated medical legal center. 
and in other and places. Like I said yeah. before, like I said before, each and every doctor should be able to do the examination and document all the injuries that they find. And if they're not capable, they should be able to refer to the nearest centre. Okay. So, Dr. Nkupodi, just, you know, after the break, we'll continue more into the, um, the what happens when when a patient, the patient journey, when a patient gets to the clinic and what we do, and then, of course, going to court. But okay. the, the one thing that, that um, has come up, and, I've, you know, I was, I was looking at the timeline. Um, <laughs> so people, when, when, a, when a person is sexually assaulted and they're under the influence of alcohol, there's a lot of blame. The, the, the person blames themselves for the situation, but that's not the case. I mean, even if you were intoxicated, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't go forward and report your, your case. True. And if you were intoxicated, when they get to the rape crisis center, you are not going to um, use that against them. No, we shouldn't. That will be secondary victimization of our client. Mm. And the other thing I wanted to ask you, Dr. Nkopoti, um, we know that a lot of women have their drinks spiked and the drug that is used is um, rohypnol. Would you, do you do bloods? Do you do blood tests for a, for a toxic screen when a patient comes into the center? Um, the drug screen depends on each and every case. We don't do the drug screen on each and every patient. If we suspect yes, that there was an intoxication or a doping that happened, yes, we do do that. But it's not a routine investigation that we do in public sector. Okay, so it's not routine because it's expensive or you're, you're, just, you're following the, the, the protocol? It's not a routine test at the moment. Okay, but it's something that should be considered considering the number of cases of, of, of people who are having their drinks um, um, spiked. Yes. It should be considered. Okay. And the training that you underwent for medical legal, um, how long is that training and um, where was the training conducted? Uh, for me, it was two days per week for five weeks. And it was somewhere in Eden Vale Hospital. It was in Eden Vale Hospital. And then after that, you, oh. and then you got a certificate, you wrote an exam, or how, to, what, 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 how does it work? We got a certificate of attendance. So during the two days or 10 days, if I may summarize it, we get a presentation from the senior doctors who have been doing the cases, rape cases for a number of times. Because this is not a speciality on its own. Mm -hmm. But there are doctors who are really dedicated to doing medical legal service, but it's not a speciality. So we got presentations from the senior doctors, presentations from the advocates, and presentations from the social workers and the psychologists. Because on site, we have to do counseling and testing for the patients. So on site, we need to contain the patient's emotions because they're in a crisis. Most of them are traumatized. Mm. And then we also got counseling from, we also have lectures from SAPS, what their part is in the medical legal system. It's called clinical forensic medical services. So they are part of the forensic services as well. Mm -hmm. And this is training so that after. you've... Yeah, and after? 
So after five weeks, that 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 we got we got a certificate, and we get also ongoing training services. Okay, so we'll be back after this break with you, Dr. Marian Kompodi, to continue our discussion on um, sexual assault and the steps that must be taken to ensure that the the right thing happens and that cases are successfully prosecuted. Sidebar with Cindy on Kaya FM 95.9. Kaya FM 95.9, home of the Afropolitan. Welcome back to Sidebar with Cindy with me, Dr. Cindy Swee-Francel. Um, I'm chatting to Dr. Marian Kopodi, a medical doctor who um, works in, the, in a medical legal center. And I'll also be chatting to Samantha Amunyela, who is um, a social worker. And we have her online to discuss um, rape, r- rape crisis and, and what happens in terms of the counseling for victims of rape. We're taking your calls on 86 The SMS um, number is 36959. And the hashtags on social media are Sidebar Cindy and KFM Talk. Good evening, Samantha. Um, and thank you so much for joining us on Sidebot, Cindy. Good evening, Cindy. Good evening, Cindy. Thank you so much for having me. So, Samantha, you know, as as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, that the last two days for South Africa have been harrowing. Um, we're all aware about um, you know the, the the case that has been on our minds, and we're all very saddened. And Twitter has been, you know, a buzz with people coming forward and sharing their experiences of sexual assault and rape and, and you know, the alleged perpetrators. We invited you to the show so that, you know, we could talk about the counselling that is essential for, for victims of, of sexual assault and rape. Um, so I know that you do work with, um, um, with, with um, such, such, um, such victims and um, the, the counselling process is a long one. Um, where do you start when someone presents and, and, and says that I was sexually assaulted or, you know, or I was raped? Well, you know, Cindy, I think, you know, we really need to start, um, and before we go into what happens when a person comes to us, is really start acknowledging how shockingly common rape and, and assault has become in our communities and in our societies. Mm. You know, we, we know of someone or have heard of somebody that has been assaulted or has been raped. But really the question is, is how many rapists do we know? Um, and are we asking those kind of questions? Because we're really not talking about the other side of this. You know, we all know about a woman or a child who has been hurt because this is what's happening. They're being hurt. But what about the people that are actually hurting our women and hurting our children? And, you know, I think it's, 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 it's when somebody presents with, with rape or with, with gender-based violence is, is understanding that this goes beyond the physical injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, when you've been raped or when you've been sexually assaulted, it, it's shattering. It leaves the person feeling scared. It leaves them feeling ashamed, alone. They're plagued by nightmares and flashbacks. And, and it's, it's a really unpleasant experience and the memories that then follow. So I think the first place to start is, is really to start working from there. Um, the person that comes to you has obviously now lost trust mm-hmm. and they don't even trust themselves because they question their judgment. Why did I go to this party? Why did I go out so late? Mm-hmm. Why was I wearing this? Because remember, that, that, that's a narrative that, that we already start playing at. It's where were you? What yeah. were you wearing? Mm. What were you doing? What were you drinking? What did you drink left unattended? Um, and, and, and when a person, a survivor comes, they're already questioning their sanity. Mm. 
Mm. So it's really starting at bringing it back, bringing them back to, bringing them back home, that, that I believe what happened. They must believe what happened. And they're not dirty. They're not damaged goods because rape is attached to some sort of stigma. Mm. No, it is. And, and yeah, mm-hmm. can you continue, Samantha? Now, say that, you know, and the scary thing is that what we find is very few survivors are, are um, hurt by strangers. They're hurt by people that they know, people that they've trusted, people that, that they relate to on some level or the other. And this then makes it more difficult for them to come forward and report the case. Absolutely, because in as much as we suffer from Avantuazotini when, when things are going, you know, in, in other aspects of our lives, it also happens and it's at play when, when we're feeling vulnerable and when we're feeling helpless and, and, and when, when, when that shame and feeling defeated um, comes in. The first thing that happens when somebody has been hurt or raped is that self-blame. It's it, it's like, am I dreaming? Am I making this up? What did I do to deserve this? And and we really have to help this person regain that sense of safety and that, that and that trust. And and from then we start teaching the survivor how to heal and how to move on with their life. The other thing I wanted to ask you, um, Samantha, is that would any of your um, reports or your consultations with the with the patient ever end up in court? Would you ever have to go and testify in court? Um, there are different uh, social workers that deal with separate, just like you mentioned that with also the, with the doctors. Yes. Um, so you'll get a forensic social worker that will work together with maybe the support of counselling that would have taken place and the forensic social worker will then take the matter up in court because that requires, you know, um, results from the rape kit and the interventions that have taken place from, from the police side. So it is a different speciality that then comes into play to then take this matter to court. So my I, I personally have not had any cases that have ended up in court because I'm more the supportive, therapeutic um, intervention. But there are um, forensic social workers that then... Um, take this to court. Okay. And is there a special service for children? Pardon? Um, is there a special, do you, do you do counselling for adults only or is there special counselling for children as well? Because I know that children, you know, mm-hmm. if they've been sexually assaulted, will need to be treated differently from adults. But, yes. So is yes. your training for adults and children or are there special social workers just for children? Well, um, like, like the doctor also alluded, that there are centres that, that, um, specialized with children. I have counseled children that have been, you know, um, survivors of rape, but you've got your teddy bear clinic, you've got your kids clinic that, that's also now coming up that, that do that specialized, um, intervention for children because children need to be handled differently. We need to, to bring in the elements of play therapy because when, when children get hurt, most of them go mute. Most of them don't talk about what happened. Most of them don't want to talk about what happened because they're trying to understand what it is that has happened to them. Mm-hmm. They're trying to understand, is this wrong? Is this right? Is this only happening to me? 
So children just, just refuse to talk about it. So you need to bring in an element of play therapy and that's how the story is then narrated to you. Okay. So we're taking calls on 086-000-959. Um, we have Untlantla on the line calling us from Sibukeng. Um, hi, Untlantla. Welcome to the show. Hi, Cindy. How are you? Good, thank you. I'm fine. Uh, this issue is a very sensitive issue that you're talking And uh, most of the rape um, victims are not reporting anything. You see, because I have a friend who has been raped, I think, 20 years ago, 20 years back. Mm-hmm. So now uh, I want to I wanna help her, but I don't know which facility she has to go in so that she can get help because sometimes she's scared of talking about such things. And and she sometimes says she, she needs to, to seek a professional help, but... She, she's scared, so I don't know what to do. So I, I want to help her. Okay, Samantha? I think it's, I think it's important for her to, 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 to seek out, you know, a psychologist or a social worker to really get her um, empowered to know that she's protected, she's safe. Remember I spoke about the element of trust. It's who do I trust with something so big? Who do I trust with this that has happened with this with this thing that has happened to me? And and that's where the stigma comes in. You know, we need to really start dispelling and breaking down the stigma and this victim blaming that comes with sexual violence. Let her go to counselling. Advise her to go to counselling. There are resources that she can reach out to. Um, Poa is, is there. Um, or if she she has a program at a workplace that she can reach out to, but she needs to start with the counselling. Then the counsellor will guide her on the next step. What do we do from here? Um, it's 20 years ago, so I, I don't know if a rape kit was done. Did she, have, did she report a case? Did she tell anybody about it? All those things, all that information needs to be gathered. But the most important thing to know that it's never too late to report a crime. Whether it happened yesterday, whether it happened last year, whether it happened 10 years or 20 years ago, you can always come up and say, this is what has happened to me. And I want to put forth and report this, this injustice that was done to me. Okay, well, thank you for that. Coming back to Dr. Maria Nkobodi. Um, Dr. Maria, um, Untantla mentioned that um, his friend... Um, was raped 20 years ago. Um, and so Samantha Munyela, the social worker, has said that it's never too late. In a case like this, where someone comes forward, you know, years after the, the, the incident, um, what, what, do, what would you do as a medical legal doctor? What's your role? Okay. Uh, so the crime is committed. The crime has already been committed. So the patient still needs to be examined and a JATH will be filled in. Examination will be done. Findings will be written in the JTH. The the perpetrator will still be taken to court. The only difference is that there will not be any DNA evidence Mm. to convict the perpetrator. The essence of the 72 hours examination, especially if no, no condom has been used, is that you get DNA evidence. The DNA evidence will link the patient to the perpetrator. 
and that assists the, prosecu- the prosecutors that court to say the DNA of Mr. So-and-so was definitely found in the victim's you know, vaginal area or on the thigh or whichever part of the body which was examined. Okay. So most of the cases we need the DNA evidence, but this does not mean that the lady cannot be assisted in this case. Okay. And the other thing I wanted to ask you, Dr. Nkopodi, so so the patient presents at the center or the clinic, you do the examination, you collect the evidence, bloods are done, you give the patient the post-exposure prophylaxis to prevent um, HIV infection. If the patient's HIV negative, you give the patient the syndromic management for sexually transmitted infections to, 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 yeah. to treat those. Um, if the, and you give the patient the morning after pill because I know that the patient will get morning after pill if the, if the patient is female um, and of childbearing age. What then happens after that? The police then take the kit away and then what's the next step after that? Uh, the police, they're supposed to take that sealed kit with swabs to the forensic lab. Mm-hmm. The forensic lab is supposed to examine for whatever DNA material is available and was found on the patient's examination. The information and the results from the forensic lab is not presented to the hospital. It will be presented to the court. Okay. So if there's positive DNA evidence matching Mr. So-and-so with whichever lady which was sexually assaulted, then it's a positive DNA identification. And then that person will be convicted based on the positive evidence that was there. Most of the, of the cases are thrown out because they say there's no DNA evidence. And, the and d- at the same yeah. time, it does not mean that the sexual assault did not take place. It's just that there was no DNA evidence that was present at the time. To positively link the perpetrator and the victim. Yes. Okay. The other question I wanted to ask um, Dr. Nkobodi is that the, 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 the victim, the patient, right? Mm-hmm. So after they've left your center... When when can they expect to have their first appearance in court? What's the time the timeline from you know from presenting to you and then the first appearance in court? You know the wheels of justice are running slowly, and I also tell the patients the wheels of justice are running slowly as they are running. At the current moment for our facility, I see that the timeline seems to be eighteen months to two years. From the time that you see the patient to the time that the patient appears in court, it's about yes. 24 months. Yes. That's a long one time. Of my, yeah, one of my colleagues was saying at the moment, I think they are running at 18, under 18 months, which I was like, wow, okay. Maybe we'll also get there. And what's the holdup? One of the things is the forensic lab. They're running, you know, <laughs> they are being delayed, the forensic lab. And the number of cases that have been reported. Not so many cases have been reported. One in four cases have been reported. But the number is still humongous. Mm. South Africa has, is one of the highest number of cases of sexual assault that are happening. More than 40% of women in South Africa have been assaulted sexually. So there's a, there's a backlog of cases to reach the courts? 
Yeah. And when the patient gets to court, um, have have they had like coaching in inverted commas prior to that? Or, you know, what, what is that? I mean, if it takes two years, you may forget things. So is there a pre-court appearance session, you know, with, with a doctor or a social worker or anyone? Well, they have uh, sessions with the prosecutor from the court and the South African Police Services. They have the um, sessions with the prosecutor and SAPS. And in those sessions, they go through the notes that were made at the, at, you know, when the patient presented at your centre. Yes. Okay. And it's, is it important for the for the patient to also keep their own records to write down everything that happened so that it's still fresh in their minds when they eventually appear in court? It is important. Yes, it is. Okay. And so, re- remember, the first day is so traumatic. What I've realised up until now, I've been doing this for eight years full time. The first day when we see the patient, she gets interviewed either if she presents to the medical legal center, they get interviewed by us, the sister and the doctor and the counsel. And then the police officer comes and interviews. And then the prosecutor later, whether it's a month or two months, they also get interviewed about the same process. It's such a traumatic process. They overleave that event over and over again over a number of times. And it's important to keep telling the same story each time you're interviewed. Yes. Okay. We'll be back after this break on Cyber Cindy to continue our discussion on sexual assault and rape and what to do if you find yourself in that situation. Sidebar with Cindy on the home of the Afropolitan. Kaya FM 95.9, um, home of the Af- Afropolitan, Sidebot Cindy, with me, Cindy Sefansel. I'm tripping over my words because I have a question in my head for Dr. Marianne Kopodi. Uh, I'm on the show with Dr. Marianne Kopodi. She's a medical legal doctor and she works with um, um, rape victims. And she's been doing this for the past eight years. And she, you know, the, the case goes from, you know, presenting at the health, cent- at the health center all the way to court. So, Dr. Maria, we have a question from for you from Twitter from Mpo. And Mpo says, please ask Dr. Maria if the hospital or clinic can still give you medication that prevents HIV infection within 72 hours, even if someone didn't go to open a case. So, I think the misunderstanding here is that if you haven't opened a case, you can't present at a rape crisis center. And I know that that's not entirely true. No. Well, Dr. We even give PEP, post-exposure prophylaxis, even if you don't open a case. Mm. It's about the well-being of the victim. When we do an HIV test and our patient tests negative, we don't force them to open a case when they are not ready. Mm. So we'll have to do an HIV test and the test is negative, then they'll get the treatment for for 28 days. And I think this is, and I think this is, and, and this is important, an important question because there's a myth that if you haven't gone to get a case number, you can't then present at a rape crisis center for the sexual assault examination kit to be to be um, completed, and that is not true. Whether you open a case or not, we still need to collect that DNA evidence so that it can go to the forensic um, um, lab and to the DNA database, so that in future, if if the if, if um, the perpetrator does this again. They can link up cases, and 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 this is how serial rapists are caught because they've got this collection of DNA, and they can start linking up the cases. 
And it's happening already. It's happening already to have this DNA database, hmm. which is linking the perpetrators to a number of cases. And we are seeing these these perpetrators as unknown made. But later on, you realize that either this person has committed a crime before, mm-hmm. whether it was a robbery or another sexual assault, and it was documented or he was arrested and convicted. And the DNA, his DNA will be linked to a number of cases of sexual assault. And later, he'll be linked to all these cases. Mm, and that's why it's important. So reporting is essential. Yeah, regardless of, of whether you're going to take the take the case further or not reporting is essential and presenting the rape crisis center is very important coming back to samantha munyela who's a social worker who works with um um you know victims of rape around the counseling samantha um before someone presents in court how would you prepare them because you know it is a it is a harrowing task you might have to come face to face with um with the perpetrator how do you prepare the patients for that um, and because of the time period that, that it takes um, between the actual reporting and the actual court date, that's when counselling really, really takes shape and, and really starts empowering the client or the, the patient so that when it gets to that point, they are already um, empowered and, and, and ready to face their, their perpetrator and to really face the task at hand. Um, it's, 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 it's work in process. Remember, healing is, is a process. It's going to take time. So from the moment you start seeing a counselor, start seeing a social worker or a psychologist, you already start preparing for that day. You already start um, dealing with some of your feelings of guilt and of shame and, and, and really just um, working through the misconceptions associated with rape so that when it gets to that point, you are empowered enough. It's preparing the client um, and the patient for flashbacks because once you're on that um, platform, a lot of things are going to come flooding back. It's going to be stressful. It's going to be traumatic all over again because you will you will you will go back to that state of high alert when you see that that person again, mm-hmm. um, and when you get you know when you get put on the stand to 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 relive those that upsetting time in your life. So we start preparing, we start working through the post-traumatic stress. We start working on triggers um, um, such as dates, people, places, Mm. certain sights, certain sounds, certain smells, because all of that will trigger a reaction. Um, One is never completely ready for court. Mm. You can never say 100% I am going to not feel tense or hold my breath or have racing thoughts um, and, and feel anxiety or dizzy or hot flashes or even nausea when I go through that. But when you talk through it, when you talk to it in the future through counseling, you're better prepared to know, okay, this is normal. How do I then counteract what I'm currently feeling now? So you learn, you start teaching um, the patient how to self-soothe in that situation. And counselling for family members or, um, you know, the support structures? Support structures are are incredibly important. And I think that's, that's another element that we also underplay. You know, one of the first things I always say is, who is the person that you trust the most? The most who's going to walk with you through this journey? Because this isn't a one-time it's it, it's not a one-time offense that now we've reported it that it it is a journey that carries that that you carry with you 
for the rest of your life. Mm. And 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 so we, we 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 need to counsel the family. We need to counsel the friends so that they know how to better support you, but also deal with their trauma, because they also get traumatized by knowing what has happened to a loved one, to your child, to a sister, to a friend, because it's it, it, it's that self blame. What could I have done to prevent this? How could I have uh, protected you? So we also need to to involve as many people in your supportive um, social circle so that they can also help you um, cope and go through this um, quite uh, efficiently or easily. And you know, if it's a, if it's a school child or a young child. Would you recommend um, discussing the matter with the teacher or the or the principal? You know, just just to alert them that this is what's happening. The child may have to miss school, or the child's grades may drop, or the child may be withdrawn at school. Would you recommend that? Um, you know, it differs on 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 a case to case, and it also depends on how old the child is. You know, very young children are, are not very vocal about what has happened to them, and 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 sometimes you you know. Children get mis- misdiagnosed as being slow learners because now they've, they've, they've really um, cocooned themselves in in the state of 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 of, of muteness or of, of of not talking about what has happened. So it's important to then engage with the teacher, and also the teacher will have a social worker on site. I know that the government is is, is moving towards having more social workers present at schools. So the teacher will work together with the social worker at the school so that the child gets a holistic intervention. Um, As the children get older, they tend to not want their personal or private space Mm. to discuss with the teachers for fear of victimization or the fear of this teacher talks too much and Mm. the whole staff room is going to happening in in, in my life and and I'm going to be the talk of all the teachers. So as, as a child gets older, you then have a you know consensual discussion with with the patient to say, okay, what do you want to do? Because remember, trust is a big thing. With sexual trauma, trust is a big thing. Smaller children, we can have that holistic intervention and and make some of these decisions on behalf of the child. But as they reach their teens, 12, 13, 14, 15, we also need to also include them in the decision making so that they feel safe, they feel more confident, and they that and that they regain their power. And preparing um, a young child to to testify in court, um, what 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 does that um, what does that entail? Um, like I said, it does it does entail you know it, it, it is it is a specialized field with play therapists and and forensic social workers, but it really just um, children don't don't testify. They'll testify through a social worker um, okay. when they're young, so they they don't go and give a statement and have to relive and and get re-traumatized um, after the incident. So they will they will testify through through uh, a mediator or social worker, so that we don't re, you know we, we don't um, re-traumatize them. So um, as as the older children, they will be prepared um, on on you know what to say, what not to say, how to be mindful of of of, of um, their own feelings and their own emotions in the so that they can relay the story as accurately as possible. As possible. Okay, Samantha. I think we'll let you go because we're going to um, have to um, wrap up with the, the with the doctor. Um, where can we find you if we, um, you know, if we're looking for you? Where can we get hold of you? Um, my practice is based in Edenvale in Eliondale. Um, my should I give you my contact number? Yes, your your landline. Well, um, I my I use my cell phone. Okay, um, it's oh six oh 
478-478-8932. Okay. Thank you so much, Samantha. It's always great having you on the show. And um, enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you. Keep well. So we're still talking about um, rape crisis and what to do if you find yourself in that situation. And I was talking to Samantha Moneda, a, a social worker. I still have Dr. Maria Nkopodi, a medical legally trained doctor on the line. And, um, you know, the one thing that I'd like her to, to talk us through before we end the show is, the, the you know, what can, the, what can a patient expect, Dr. Maria, when they get to um, a, a rape crisis center? And I'm, what I mean is, you know, as you said, they must try and bring their clothes with them, keep them on, or if they can't keep the clothes on, put them in a black bag and bring them to you. Um, what will you do step by step and, and, and so on? Okay. Um, I think the most of the pitfalls that we see after the rape, most of the females, they feel so dirty and they tend to bust before they come to the clinic or to the hospital or to the crisis center or medical legal center. The important thing is not to bust after the incident. Because as soon as you bust, you know, some people also tend to say they do vaginal douching. Mm. So they're removing all the evidence, all the DNA evidence, especially if the perpetrator has not used any any condom during the, the, the sexual assault. Mm. So the important thing after the incident, as soon as the patient has found any help, you know, to take them either to the nearest police station or to the nearest clinic, or if they're able to go home first, they shouldn't start by passing. Okay. So they either come to SAPS, report the case. If they cannot go to SAPS, when they get to Medical Legal Center, we at Medical Legal Center, we call the SAPS to come to Medical Legal Center. We don't even say, I why not you didn't report the case, Samaya, we are police station. Mm. No, the police station this time comes to Medical Legal Center. And then we do counseling. You know, you have to assess the state of mind of the patient. If the patient cannot talk at the time, we will wait. We are not in the emergency area whereby we have to see gunshot wounds and everything. Mm-hmm. We are a dedicated center. We will wait for the And open 24 hours a day? We are open 24 hours a day. Okay. So we will wait. We do counseling and testing. And then when the patient is ready also to do an HIV test to determine her current HIV test status, we will do that in order to give PEP for the HIV and then even for STI prevention and even for prevention of um, pregnancies, especially for those who are not on uh, contraceptives. And even if the patient is on, contra- on if the patient is on, on, on contraceptives, we still give prevention. The morning after. Yes. Okay, okay, that's important. Because you'll never, you'll never know. Some person will say, I did my last injection in July and say, no, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. So we'd rather be safe and give, you know, the morning after care. Okay, okay. Thank you for that, Dr. Marian Kopodi. I think we've had a good show. I think we, you've explained everything that we needed to know concerning the steps that must be taken to ensure that all the medical legal processes are followed and that the wheels of justice turn. Thank you so much for being on the show and um, have a good evening. Thank you so much for having me. So I'll be back tomorrow evening on Sidepod Cindy. Enjoy the rest of your evening and thank you for listening. 
Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.